Meet Your Maker makes professional-grade grinders, vacuum sealers, sausage stuffers, dehydrators, and just about everything else to turn your garage, deer camp, or kitchen into a meat processing haven. Meat only sells their processing tools direct to consumer, cutting out the retailer markup guaranteeing you the best price. Meat also has the only lifetime warranty in the industry, and Meat ships your tools direct to you for free. Visit MeetYourMaker.com and use code WAYPOINT for an exclusive discount. And get ready to deer IY this fall. Hunters, before getting into this next episode, we want to thank you and our sponsors for supporting the Flushman Dustin podcast. Keeping our dogs safe while hunting, training, or traveling from one location to another and helping them perform to the best of their ability is important to us. We keep a first aid kit from Gundog Outdoors in our trucks and carry one on our hunt ready vests in the event our dogs obtain an injury while hunting. We also carry their water bottle to keep our dogs hydrated while in the field. To check out these products and other safety gear, head over to Gundog Outdoors at gundogoutdoors.com and use code RINGNEX to save 10%. We transport our dogs to the hunting and training fields in our G3 Dakota 283 kennels. These kennels are one solid piece of military grade material and now have the option to add a feature called Dakota Guard. This adds an antimicrobial protection to the kennels that is FDA and EPA approved and is proven highly effective against Salmonella, E. coli, and much more. Not only do they care about the safety of your dog, they also care about your dog's health. Dakota 283 also provides other specialized gear to ensure our dogs have enough water and food for a full day's hunt and to safely store and secure our gear in our vehicles. Check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and use code RNR10 at checkout to save 10%. Hi hunters, thank you for tuning into the Flushem and Dustin podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler. The boys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushing and Dustin. Welcome back, hunters, to another Flushing and Dustin podcast. Tonight, another special guest, as always, we have Cliff Enzor. He is with Upland Lifestyle, and he's going to give us a little bit of his background, how he kind of started, uh, dogs he runs, he does apparel, gear, things of that nature. So, Cliff, why don't you go ahead and give us uh, your introduction? Yeah, absolutely, guys. Uh, thank you, first most, for having me on. Um, I wasn't expecting to be a special guest, but I guess I'll, I'll take it for what it is. Um, so, yeah, my name is Cliff. I run Uplander Lifestyle Apparel, um, located here in Michigan. Um, and Uplander is just all about what we love and our passion for upland hunting. Uh, no matter if you're just uh, starting out, you're a longtime seasoned veteran, you run flushing dog, pointing dog, hell, you can run a damn boxer for all you want. But as long as you're out there um, chasing birds, it's all cool with me and it's cool being Uplander. So that's, uh, that's all about what the brand is focused on, is just trying to promote our sport, our lifestyle through um, kind of a community brand that just represents who we are, basically. Um, so we design and sell T-shirts, apparels, uh, hats, decals, stickers, everything that would go go along designs that just represent who we are, the things we like, um, everything from the gear we run into the field, the dogs that we run, um, the type of birds we like to hunt, the, the sayings that we say in the, the field. Um, all that, it goes into, you know, a big part of what we do and why we do what we do. Um, 
And that's really, I mean, really about it. I mean, I felt like there was, you know, you look around and you get big game hunters or waterfowler hunters. There's, there's a lot of apparel that's designated, designated towards those specific niches. But when it came to upland hunting, um, it was just kind of lackluster. Everything was real outdated. Like you'd see some Cabela's shirts that had like a, a, a pheasant flushing up against a signpost or something like that. And that's really about all there was for people that, you know, we're into upland hunting and, and me, myself, I like, I'm into apparel. I like wearing things that represent me as, as who I am. And, you know, it's apparel is a big expression of people of who they are. And for the upland community there, I felt like there just wasn't anything that was doing justice for that passion. So that's how basically Uplander got started and the meaning behind it. Yeah, man. I, I agree with the, the whole apparel thing. I mean, you go to Shields, you go to Bass Pro, there ain't shit for, upland and if there is upland it's like orange carhartt material yeah you know it's there's not like those nice comfortable sweatshirts nice comfortable shirts you know stuff that you can like you can wear in the field or wear out you know yeah yep. um, so i think what you're what you're bringing to the community is kind of cool and you know there's some guys out there updating vest and um you know other apparel for the upland and i think know it's finally coming around you know like you like you said you look at waterfowl or you look at big game and there's just unlimited apparel out there that you can buy or mm-hmm. whatnot so i think what you're bringing to the community is pretty awesome and you got some pretty cool shirts and this logo so makes now cliff better. are you the only one thinking of all these ideas like i'm just scrolling through your instagram page right now um i've looked at it before but just like if you take a deep dive into it you got a lot of shit on here yeah, yeah, it's um, I mean, not to like sound boastful or you know, boast man, boast like that, but but yes, it is like I do. I do all the design work. Um, you know, every once in a while, I have somebody that will message me and throw throw an idea out there, and I mean, I welcome that kind of stuff. I mean, this isn't just this isn't just me. I mean, this is for for all of us. It's not yep. just stuff that you know I think is cool and want to wear. It's you know what we all want to wear and what we think is cool. Yeah, absolutely. Are you an artist or what? Yeah, so I do, I guess, a little bit more on my background. Um, I've worked in the outdoor industry for the last 10 years of my career. Um, I've done everything from filming out or filming hunts for outdoor television, um, graphic design work, uh, film video work, um, and now, now more of the space that I'm in is digital marketing. Um, so that's really kind of how I tied in my job that I do on a regular basis into just translating it over into this. So it was a good start and, or it was a good fit to begin with. Nice. So what, what, uh, when you, when you filmed, did you do, what type of hunting did you film that got you into, maybe what got you into upland hunting? Was that part of your filming or no, got you to the um, upland side? I, I, I grew up upland hunting, um, my entire life with my dad, we had Brittany's growing up. Um, as long as I can remember, we've always had a handful of bird dogs hanging around the house and just my, my lifestyle in general has just been big time and outdoorsman, whether it's upland hunting, deer hunting, or, you know, going turkey hunting, fishing, whatever. Um, so the upland hunting is just a, a small part, I guess. And so part of the equation of, you know, all the things that I'm, I'm into, 
as far as hunting and stuff like that, but it's definitely over the last few years taken the center part of that addiction of my outdoor lifestyle, so to say. So yeah, I mean, I grew up with Britney's with my dad growing up our whole entire life. Um, I kind of lost a little bit as I kind of, you know, got out of high school, went to school from there. You know, I, I think a lot of people I, lose I, touch I, with things like that. Um, I think that's normal. I can remember uh, me, high school, college, I had two labs, but I don't know that I really ever hunted them until I have now diesel uh-huh. um, again for the last seven years. and It's been full on. So, yeah. And I, think, I don't think you're alone. I don't think you're alone. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point. I think you probably can draw a lot of similarities with people out there with uh, stories like that. You know, everybody can grow up as some type of hunter, whether they were, you know, deer hunting or, uh, upland hunting or whatever the hell they were doing growing up and then you know if you're upland hunted it seems like especially with the side of the dogs you know people you know you hit that point in life where you start chasing other things whether it's a career or whatever girls in school yeah or girls whatever <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah i mean dogs are a big part of upland hunting and dogs kind of fade out of the picture a little bit at that point in your life i think um it's just for you know housing reasons or just the you know having to take care of them so but i think it's something that everybody always circles back around to like for me myself it was always in the the cards that i knew i wanted a dog at some point it was just it was just timing to get another dog for myself yeah you know going back to your comment of you know the time in life to have a dog i'm super glad that i had diesel for the last seven years because recently we just had we have two kids uh one's going to be two and one's going to be four months unfortunately a poor fucker doesn't get a lot of attention now except for on weekends just because my week you know so right now would not be the right time for me to get another dog even though i want one uh-huh. but i can't i can't train one right now there's no way no way so <clears throat> you uh you grew up with Brittany's, and you have Britney's yourself, correct? Yep, yep. I have uh, three Britney's right now, and right. that was kind of the number we always had. We usually had two or three of them growing up. I think at most, my parents, my dad had three of them growing up, and I guess I've found myself back to that number. Um, we picked up their third one uh, back in December, the day after Christmas. We actually drove down and picked her up. It wasn't, it wasn't something that we were totally planning on, but the opportunity for the dog came up, and I, I really pushed, and I really wanted the dog um, just because of the, the litter that it was out of, and I was already familiar with it, and the breeders, and the opportunity to have the dog felt right, even though maybe timing wasn't exactly there, but it, it just, and now we're here with the third dog. <laughs> how, how is that managing? So you got three dogs in the house, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. How, how, what, what's their age range? Um, so we have Yeti who will be going on four That's years cool. old here. Um, then there's Ember who is a year and four months. And then now we have Aspen who's five months. Nice. Oh man. Man, that's gotta be a busy a handful. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It is. It's, it can get chaotic. Um, but we've really, really just been focusing on, on, on house manners. It was something I wish I did with the first dog a little bit more. 
Um, you, some of the things that you don't realize that are going to be quite a bit different when you have three dogs now is when you have the first one, you're like, all right, dude, yeah, it's cool. You want to jump on the sofa or you want to jump up here on bed. Or I guess if you want to sit here while we eat dinner and try and beg for some food or, you know, you just kind of give the dog a little bit of free range, but now you bring a second one into the picture and it changes things a little bit. And you're like, all right, I'm going to try and structure this a little bit different. And then you bring the third one in the picture and you're like, holy hell, I got to change what I'm doing here quite a bit because this isn't just one dog anymore. Now it's three dogs that are trying to fight for my lap every time. Yeah, and, and your your oldest dog is probably teaching those younger two dogs. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I think too, you know, like you said, as you, as you get dogs, you kind of rethink how you want to train them or like what you want them to do. You know, like my older golden, he's kind of a psycho most of the time and mm -hmm. has a lot of energy where my younger one, she's, she's more chill and relaxed. And I don't know if per se, that's the training when she was young, but I am glad that she's a little more chill. Cause if I had two of my older dogs, my God, I did, I don't know what I do. Our house would be, well, would just be we absolutely crazy. We know one thing, Cliff. He still wouldn't hit any birds, no matter what the dog was. So. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. They have nothing to do with my shooting ability. <laughs> uh, so you you grew up with Brittany's, and obviously you're drawn to them. Have you have you hunted with other breeds, or what keeps you um, drawn to the Brittany's other than obviously you just grew up with them? Um, yeah, I feel like, I feel like the Britneys having them as I was growing up, that probably is a big part of it, um, of why I have Britneys now outside of that. I feel like, you know, I could sit here and say, oh, it's because, you know, I love Britney's temperament. I love their, their drive, their willingness to please, but you could say that about, you know, any damn dog out there. Like I could, like, you could probably say the same exact things about your dog. If somebody was going to be like, well, why do you have your dog? And if you were to say the list of, oh, because I love their drive, I love their willingness to please. Like you could go down the list with that yep. on, on every, every breed. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of that. I enjoy their, their temperament, obviously. Um, they do for the most part have a good on off switch inside the house except the puppies. They're a little different. They're little pterodactyls that run around like, you know, batshit crazy. But I think that's most puppies, especially sporting dog breeds. Oh, um, sure. But I like, I like small compact dogs, um, dogs, especially where I hunt in the grouse woods, dogs that can maneuver cover really fast that don't have to so much have the leg height advantage to get through, you know, taller grass and and to be jumping, bounding over top of stuff. I like dogs that are small, compact, um, don't have a lot of size to them, don't have a lot of weight to them. They seem to be a little bit more, not athletic, but a little bit more nimble, agile. Uh, they can dip, dive, duck a little bit faster than, you know, just other dogs that I've seen that run through the woods like bowling balls. Um, and their, their stamina seems to be a little bit longer, the, the smaller dogs. And another thing is I don't like tails. Um, in the house. So obviously Brittany's having a dock tail. That's a, that's another plus for the breed. Yeah. Do you have any issues with them? So you hunt probably a lot of wooded area up in Michigan. Yep. Do you yep. chase a lot of, what do you chase a grouse or not grouse, but um, I guess, what do you all chase up in Michigan? 
I literally forgot what I was going to say. I was like, grouse ain't it. That's freaking out west. Yeah, no, it is. It is grouse though. Rough is it? Grouse. Okay. Yep. Rough grouse and woodcock. Um, okay. Those are the two primary birds. There is, there is some hot spots um, in the state that you can still go and find pheasants. Um, that's kind of turned into an interesting topic over the last year. I, um, I'll, I'll dive into that a little later here, but I'll, I'll focus on the grouse. So where I primarily hunt is in the northern tier part of the state um, for rough grouse. And what's cool about grouse is, or I guess different, so to say, is they're not a prairie bird. They're a woodland bird. So things get, uh, like I said, it's, you know, you're working in really thick cover. The dog's got to be able to duck and dive in and out of stuff really easily. And it can get kind of chaotic just even trying to find a dog. Yeah. Um, do you, do you run into like issues with collecting burrs a lot? I know some guys, like that's one thing I run goldens and Jesus, uh-huh. they pick up every stinking burr that they, they run by, you know, and like for Nick, that's one advantage with him and diesel yeah. is they don't he, I don't even know if I've ever seen him with a cogaburr on him, you know, uh, and if he does, if he does, I can just usually yeah wipe it you know, right and, off. And it's, it's so with, within the breed, there's a couple different lines of coats on the dog so like my young my my middle-aged female that's just over a year she has a really nice thin haired flat coat um and she doesn't she she, if she gets wet she dries out fast if she runs into burrs they don't typically stick to her as bad but my older male he has a thicker fluffier a little bit more coarse hair to him and if he runs into anything that sticks or grabs to him it's, it's going to mat right into him and it, he sucks it up like a vacuum. Um, so it's kind of interesting seeing from the different lines of dogs that are out there as Brittany's, the different coats they have and what they can and can't pick up from those coats. You know, I, I, it, it, that's true upon all dogs. So I have Diesel and then we have another friend that hunts with us and he has Hawkeye, um, which has been on different podcasts, but there are two coats both being purebred black labs mm-hmm. are so incredibly different. It's, it's amazing. Um, like I think diesel, he's really soft, but it's, and I don't know how to explain it. It almost looks like you don't give him a bath. And then like Hawkeye, it looks like you give him a bath. If that makes sense. It's uh-huh. kind of like, a, it's kind of like a weird, like, but their coats feel pretty much the same, but just the look is just a little bit different. Like yeah, my, my golden's, so they're legit brother and sister just from like a different litter but they have the same parents and lola she has like a super thick coat if i don't dry her off she'll take like all day to dry off Mm -hmm. or murph he'll dry off in like an hour you know and but it's 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 weird how you know you have the same breed like you're saying yeah yet the hair is completely different and whatnot you know and the way it functions i guess it's just random so what's the bird population um just in general out in michigan now this is go across the board um you know, tyler doesn't know what birds are out there but from what you said wood <laughs> woodcock i don't know uh, shit some grouse <laughs> is there is there any pheasant out there i'm guessing no or not many if there there is some there's some hot spots of, of pheasants that still remain um i mean shit you go back into like the 50s 60s 70s and that's what dominated 
um, hunting in the state was pheasants. So like my dad used to tell me stories of him growing up where they used to actually shut down schools on opening day of pheasant season because it was that big, it was that popular um, throughout the entire state for people to go out and pheasant hunting. Um, my grandpa was a big pheasant hunter. He had springers. Um, and yeah, they would close down, they would literally close down schools on October 20th every year in Michigan for opening day of pheasant season back in the fifties and sixties with my dad growing up. Um, but it's obviously mm. a totally different world now. Things are a lot more um, developed, um, modern farming day practices, all that has contributed pretty much to the downfall of the, that bird within our state. And there's just a few hot spots throughout the state, maybe one really, really good area that you can go up and have some good hunting throughout the day. And then there's a couple other pockets that you might get lucky to run into a couple birds here or there. Um, but outside of that, it's a, it's a crap shoot. Have you ever wanted to process your own wild game from start to finish? Meet Your Maker has you covered. Meat makes professional-grade grinders, vacuum sealers, sausage stuffers, dehydrators, and just about everything else to turn your garage, deer camp, or kitchen into a meat processing haven. Meat only sells their processing tools direct to consumer, cutting out the retailer markup, guaranteeing you the best price. Meat also has the only lifetime warranty in the industry. And Meat ships your tools direct to you for free. Visit MeetYourMaker.com and use code WAYPOINT for an exclusive discount. And get ready to deer IY this fall. I've seen the numbers like, you know, how, how many years have you, been, have you been chasing birds? Um, Really hardcore into it the last four years. Um, where I would be paying attention to things. Um, before that, it was just, you know, going out with my dad and it wasn't even so much about the dog work. It was just more or less hunting. You know, the dogs were just another tool that you were going out there and they were just kind of there with you, you know, using them to kick up birds. And that wasn't the sole focus of it. Um, yeah. you know, finding birds wasn't the sole focus. It was just kind of going out and, you know, walking through the woods. Um, but now looking into it a little bit more um, and, and paying attention and studying. So I don't know what a good day elsewhere would be considered pheasant hunting, but I can give you, I guess, kind of my numbers that I would average if I were to go pheasant hunting here for a day. Um, it's where I go. It's about an hour and a half drive from my house. And I will typically average in one day, sun up till sundown, sundown, I'll have so your limit is two birds, two roosters in Michigan, two cocks. Um, I will usually have an opportunity at two roosters. I'll shoot one, fuck up on the second one somehow. And, me. and, <laughs> and uh, usually run into eight to 10 hens along the way. Okay. So I think I, Iowa, so that's not a bad day. I mean, we've had. It's, it's a long, hard day of hunting though. Yeah. Is okay. what you're putting in a full day of like busting grass, humping it yeah. the whole entire entire day to do that. So our so I'll just go off the last day that we hunted together in Iowa. We only got one rooster, um, and a coyote and and a hun, but we probably saw. I'm just gonna throw a number out there. We probably saw 300 birds. They were just uh -huh. wow. like through the whole day, through the whole day. They're getting up early. Snow is crunchy. They're just flying everywhere. And this actually, this actually counts some birds that um, were off the side of the road on ground that we couldn't hunt. But we saw, we saw probably about 300 birds. I would say 
Tyler, am oh, I wrong there? So is that 300 birds, is that is that good for right now? Or, you know, compared, let's, let's back up, I mean, 15-ish, 20 years ago in Iowa. I remember my dad, my dad used to go out to Iowa with a group of buddies for, I don't know, it was probably early 2000s, they would go out. And my dad would come home and tell me stories about how you, if you closed the truck door wrong, it would be like a black sea of birds getting up out of a field. So we have one spot that I've always went to, uh, Bruce's, Tyler, if you remember that. Um, birds glower. Guy has 80 acres and just fucking birds everywhere. And we've lived it out there before. But this past year we went there and all of a sudden we've seen I don't know, was it 100 birds probably just flocking? They're just, they're just getting up and moving. I'm like, what is going on? We hunt this whole field and we come back around. All of a sudden, coyote just jumps out and we actually shoot the coyote. So we think that's why the birds got out. Um, years past, this guy's place has always been there, but I would say public grounds, maybe not as good this year as I've seen in past years. I guess what I would say. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Back in, so when I was in high school, when I got into pheasant hunting, my grandpa, he had a, a really nice place that, oh, it was, I wouldn't say it was any more than 40 acres, just a nice little square piece of land with a little pond down in the middle, you know, just really good setup, nice, nice thick grass. And you were talking about if you close the door wrong, the birds would fly and that's exactly how it was there <clears throat> all four years of high school. Um, we'd go there, you get there and it's like slowly close the door, try not to make any clicks. The guy that I always hunted with the head labs, you know, let him out of the truck, try not to put your shell in too loud because I mean, any noise and all of a sudden, you know, they're flying up mm. and that same properties there, same crop ground around it, same grass, um, the pond's still there, timber's still there, everything is literally the same, and there might be, you might see like five birds there. Really, no shit. You yeah. know, Cliff, I, maybe, maybe Tyler has gotten a bird before then, if there's that, not, not that many birds there anymore. Well, when that many get up, you just shoot in the air and you hope it's <laughs> Start flock shooting. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. It used to be, I mean, we'd go up there in a little 40-acre spot, and there'd be you know, I, like I said, I was younger, so I, I don't want to give a number of birds, but there was a lot of birds that would fly up. You know, we would always come out with at least three to six birds, you know, almost limit out every time we'd go. And, you know, we only hit it up probably four times a year. So that's, that's a good amount of roosters for two guys, you know, and my grandpa would obviously hunt it sometimes and uh, my uncle, but now I went up there Two, I didn't go up here there last year, um, but I went up there the year before and saw two roosters and three hens, um, and we combed it over super good. And you know, I don't, I don't know if you know it's like I said, the cover is still there. There, all the farm ground around it hasn't changed. It's owned by the same people. They've ran the ground the exact same way. Um, I think a big thing that's changed is where it's at so it's up nick and colesburg yep um so it's it's more wooded area up there uh some more predators like coyotes raccoons well not only that things. tyler but i think machines now are, are more efficient 
there's yeah, there's no, not as much dropping corn yeah, dropping there's on not the ground. Much crop on the ground anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't do that. And and I guess Cliff to get to your answer, no, the hunting now is not like it was back in the day. Well, I mean, I now. think even you made a point about crops as well, and I think you could throw in as well. You know, back in the day as well. Um, crop rows were a little bit more spread out they didn't they didn't weed them like they do now either and that was probably also a lot of cover within the corn for birds as well and then that when the corn comes down that's even still a lot of cover you know of weeds and grasses that grew up within the corn rows and nowadays it's um it's just barren dirt from all the spray and shit that they put down in there as well and those rows are a lot tighter as well yeah Yeah, it's crazy how it has changed though because i can remember when i was you know 13 14 really getting into hunting we could just go to some public ground and you'd see a ton of birds now i think this past year tyler and i actually hunted more public ground than i have in the past and it was not a good year for me anyway Mm um compared to like the previous year i i lit them up the previous year compared to this year Uh uh-huh yeah I mean, I, yes, I guess you can draw somewhat of a, I guess I'll translate this over to grouse hunting here in Michigan. Um, so like if I'm, if I run into like an older guy up North driving around while I'm hunting or something, he'll be like, oh, how many birds you moved today? And I'll be like, oh, shit, it's been a good day. I've moved at like 25 birds right now. And he's just like, yeah, there ain't fucking shit for birds around here anymore. Like they, they used to go out back in the day and move, you know, you're moving 50, 60 birds a day. And now, you know, to go walk around and, you know, move 20 birds a day, like it's not even worth it to guys like that anymore. It's not, it's not what it was. Yeah, they, they, they had it good. They were spoiled. Right. You know, with, and, and, and two, they had, you know, access to, you know, back then, I guess you could say people probably owned larger tracts of land Mm -hmm. and, you know, there was, cover from one end of the track to the under end of the track and now you have these tracks of land getting split up where people are buying three five acres and putting a house on it or something you know and you just don't have the land like you used to oh yeah that's go ahead Cliff. that's probably that is one of the biggest things when i notice from here where i live in michigan when i travel out state um I mean, overall, just our population here is, you know, quite a bit more than a lot of the surrounding Midwest states. Um, But for example, like, you know, we'll be driving, like I live on a road that's, I live, you know, out in the country, so to say, but there's still on our block, you know, it's house after house after house, even though it's all farm fields back behind, but everything has just gotten sold off around here. So, you know, Uncle Smith owns 20 acres here. Um, Aunt Joan across the, the road owns 10 acres. Um, there just isn't large continuous blocks anymore. So even though there might be one big, you know, field behind you, and but everybody, everybody lives right there, and a lot of people in our state hunt. And it's a big thing that I draw a comparison to for whitetail hunting in our state is, yeah, we have uh, a lot of ground and a lot of places to hunt here, but access has become so hard because everything is split up into 40 and 60 acre parcels. Yep. Um, and yep. everybody has um, a nephew or something like that that comes out and hunts. And that's why gaining access here to hunt anything is extremely tough, even though there's we have a lot of land here. It's so chunked up into small parcels now and everybody that owns those small parcels has somebody that they already know through family or friends or something like that yep. that comes out and hunt. 
you know, and, and I'll go back to you talking about the guy that, you know, oh, you know, hunters back in the day, they were spoiled a lot because, you know, my dad now wouldn't even hunt with me because he's like, oh, back in the day, are you still hunting? He won't hunt anymore. You know, because you we got to work for the birds. And they were so spoiled that it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's stupid to think that. But uh, Tyler's dad, you know, doesn't really hunt with him much either. He will more than my dad, but he's not uh, into it anymore, I guess is what you'd say, because they're so used to all this population. So I feel like our generation, um, you know, 30s-ish, we want to get out. We want to work for it. We want to find the birds. We want to develop our dogs. There's so much more to our hunting style than to their hunting style. Yeah, I think that bringing up their hunting style um, brings up a really good point. And it's this is something I've been thinking about for a little bit now, especially with people from that older generation. You know, you, you look at however you want to spin the wheel. You know, obviously hunters are in decline here in our in our country, whether it's not just upland hunting, but a big game. Just hunting in general, you know, every state is experiencing loss of licenses and all the, you know, the older generation and, you know, even, you know, people in our own generation, they like to point fingers and say, oh, it's, you know, because of, you know, people don't want to work for things anymore these days, or that's just everybody's into their phone and social media. But I kind of take a step back and I've been looking at my family for, you know, a little bit now. So on my dad's side, my, both my both my mom's and my dad's side, they come from big families. And so my dad was born back in the fifties and my mom was grown back in the fifties. So this, or in the sixties, my dad was in the fifties. My mom was in the sixties. And this is back in the heyday that they grew up when hunting was huge, you know, all the way through the nineties when, you know, states were experiencing, you know, the highest, you know, rates of licenses sold ever. And the, the part that I find interesting about it is, so my dad comes from a family of three brothers and one sister. Outside of those, his, his four siblings, um, he was the only one that stuck with hunting, even though my grandpa was a big, huge outdoorsman, um, whether he was fishing, small game hunting, deer hunting, um, turkey hunting, all of it. He did all of it, and he was big and passionate about hunting. But how he, I think how he viewed hunting did not translate to his kids somehow of getting them into it in a way. And I think you see the same thing on my mom's side. My, my grandpa on my mom's side was a huge hunter. He would go out West, hunt antelope, mule deer every year. Um, he would hunt, you know, back here in Michigan, small game, um, whitetail, you name it. And you look at my mom's side who has um, two sisters or two or three sisters. I don't know right now. And uh, another brother as well. And outside of both those parts of their family, both parents on each side were big hunters. But yet my dad was the only one that came out of all those people that hunted. And then I have an extensive line of cousins from all those aunts and uncles as well on both sides of my families. And none of them hunt as well either. So it's really just comes down to this whole family tree of being me and my dad. And it's like, how did we get to that point where, you know, if you have 20 plus people that come from a hunting background, it's just down to my dad and myself and you basically know, it's down to me now. I, I, I'm not saying this is right or true, but if you look back and you think about that, 
you know, it's it, it's probably how some of it was presented to him. You go yeah. on the field, you don't see any game. You don't see a, a deer or a bird. And, you know, then your grandpa, your uncle, or whoever may be, oh, back in the day, we used to just sit here for 10 minutes and shoot birds and shoot deer. You know, that's, that's all I ever hear. Oh, there yeah. used to be so much shit. That, that discourages people, right? Yep. So if you... Like when I first took my wife hunting, I took her to a pheasant farm. I took her to a pheasant farm because I wanted her to get hooked kids. So we weren't able to uh, keep that going as of recent, but uh, I hooked her and she liked it. And I think that's part of it is how it's being presented Mm -hmm. to the younger generation. Yeah. I think a lot of that older generation looked as hunting as like, you know, you go out and there was plentiful game and that's what it was really about was, you know, not to say that the whole end game was just killing something, but you know, you had plenty of opportunity and there wasn't so much as I think a deep connection to what people who hunt now are trying to focus on, you know, being outdoors, um, the connection with the land, uh, the connection with, you know, the, the whole embody of being out there and in the moment as hunting and as a whole, you know, you know, eating it, you know, your harvest, your, your food, where it comes from. I don't think those were as strong points that carried over back then. And I think that's where you see a lot of loss of hunters from that generation because they didn't focus on those types of things. Yeah, oh, and exactly. You, and you kind of think too, you know, you look, you know, we talked about college earlier and not talking past, but you know, how the decline of uh hunters now and stuff where we're going to college and you get out of it for you know five six years and then you go get a job and your job might be in a different state might not be anywhere close to you know where you grew up maybe hunting and now you're in a different state and you don't have like that easy access that you used to have or you know you don't have the the means to go out and like start fresh because you know hunting to get back into hunting isn't cheap mm-hmm. you know especially if you go buy a dog or you don't have a shotgun you gotta go buy a shotgun or you know just your outdoor gear in general you know so i think part of it too is just the way that you know families nowadays and there's still you know those families that stay close to each other but a lot of people move hours away from where they grew up and to start fresh, you know, and maybe they don't feel comfortable getting into it. They don't have that private ground, so they don't want to do the public land grind, you know, and like I said, as public or as private ground keeps getting split up more and you don't have that nice mm-hmm. access, you know, maybe, maybe people just aren't, aren't drawn to it like yeah. they, they used to be, you know, and which is sad because there's still, I mean, there's so many good public ground opportunities out oh, yeah. there. You just got to be willing to, to work to put that work in you know and i think that's that's the hardest thing to get through to people is you know especially new hunters like you want to give them a good experience you know like when i take a friend that is just getting into it like i don't care if i get a bird but i really want them to get a bird and they're like if you have a good public ground spot like you take them to that spot because you know that there's birds there if you have a private ground spot you know but then that day that you go, you don't get one. And they're like, oh, geez, we walked three hours, you know, and 
didn't see a bird and saw saw two hens and that was it you know it's yeah. like you can't they you got can't, up 100 yards out in front yeah. of you yeah you can't promise anything hunting you know and i i but think that's, that's what keeps us coming back and some of those people don't understand that i guess what keeps me coming back is the chase yeah you know, so oh, yeah. To, but, to, but that part is already ingrained in us i mean yeah. because we've already we've already lived for it so that chase is already ingrained from us so how do you take somebody out in the field that doesn't have that ingrained into them already in that same drive to be able to say yep yeah today sucked we spent a half day of walking and didn't see jack shit but that's just how it goes Think yeah, I, mean, it. I think it starts off, uh, not to interrupt each other, I think it starts off by trying to create that hunt successful. And I know it's easier said than done with pheasant than it is, say, deer or turkey. A pheasant, you go to a farm, right? You mm-hmm. take them out to a farm, you can get them hooked because they're getting on birds right away. They get that excitement, you know, and then they, you can take them out to the, to the public grounds and Maybe you're not so successful, so it's it's a conversation with them, like, hey, you know, we need to keep working, we need to keep doing this, and then maybe they build that drive, like, oh, I want that same adrenaline rush that I had here, but I don't want to pay for it. I'd rather just do it myself. Yeah, type thing. And like my daughter now, she's two, and I'm constantly talking to her. So backyard of her house, there's a pond. Ducks and geese are constantly flying in there, and we will sit for. 30 40 minutes and just watch them fly in and she's pointing at ducks and geese so i'm getting around to birds i'm trying to like tell her this and then uh-huh. this summer or this fall i'll bring home some dead birds and hopefully i can introduce her to that she'll know like oh hey <laughs> yeah i think that's that's a really big part of it is also explaining you know the ins and outs of why you're out there what you're doing all the things that go into it whether it's just you know like you said looking at birds out your back door, you know, talking about, you know, what type of species things are, you know, different, different things from that aspect, where I think from my dad's generation with his dad, like, he just drug him out in the woods and sat him up against a tree and said, here you go, boy, sit there and sit still. And that was the end of it. You know, whether something came by and you shot it or not, that was your experience. It wasn't a whole experience where everything was included trying to understand you know, you know, you see, uh, let's say a, a squirrel up in the tree or, you, you, you know, you talk about the nesting that the squirrel does up in the tree. You know, it's it's not it's not a conversation piece. It's just you go out in the woods and you sit on a bucket, and you shut up, and you don't move. Yep. Yep. Hold so on. Let's go back. Second. I'm going to I'm going to grab a beer real quick. And then I want to get into one other thing that our state is starting to do this year. Kind of get your guys' thoughts on it for awesome. pheasant hunting. I could use another beer. Shit. Two wasn't enough. Two wasn't enough. No, two, two is enough. I don't need a. I don't need more. But I could do if if the environment calls for me to have another one, I could do it. <laughs> uh, I don't think you'd, we'd have to twist your arm. No, I. Uh, oh, he usually is the one that. I unfortunately it. like to drink beer. And I like to drink a lot of it, unfortunately. <laughs> My wife always tells me, don't you just have an off button? Uh, I, actually, I don't. I always tell her, I always tell her, like, you know what? When I start drinking beer, my wires get crossed, and I don't know what happens. <laughs> Tyler knows this. Oh, Jesus Christ. He's uh, always, he's a bad influence sometimes. <laughs> yep. I like beer. So back to 
what were you saying about what Michigan's doing? So they recently started two years ago, they started a put and take program again in the state. A what program? And a put and take where they, oh, that is. the state basically purchases birds from a breeder and then they take those birds that they purchase and they put them out on public land for people to go out and hunt and shoot. Um, so it's like a, basically like a stock or a trout stocking program. So the thing is they had designated sites across the state that were, you know, marked and labeled as release sites. Um, they were, our opening day is October 20th here. So from October 20th to when season ended on November 14th, day before rifle season opens here in Michigan, every week the state would go out and they would drop birds, uh, just roosters at these release sites. Um, so once a week, the, 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 the site got a drop of birds and then nobody knew when the drop was happening. But at that point in time, people, you know, you go out and you try and, you know, shoot your birds that were released. So they're pen raised birds that were being released on uh, public lands here in the state. And the state calls it the Michigan Pheasant Hunting Initiative. And it's kind of drawn some controversy, especially from, you know, your, your wild bird. Um, how do I want to call them? What's the right words? Your, your, your wild. Yes. Your, your hardcore wild birds are the only thing you could ever hunt type of people. Yep. Yep. Um, which is fine. I don't have a problem with whether you want to go to a release site and shoot pen raised birds or, or not. Um, but the thing where it gets a little bit hairy is the state had a couple of spots that on these release sites that they had designated where there was already a somewhat of a population of wild birds. Um, and, you know, you have a lot of biologists in the state that went against this with them releasing, you know, pen raised birds um, just because of the different genes and the mixing pool there, obviously. I'm not, I'm not a biologist, so I can't speak on it, but I, I know it's not good to be able to, you know, be releasing those types of birds into that situation with those different gene pools. Um, so you have that controversy. And then from there, there was going to be a $25 stamp that you had to purchase to be able to hunt pheasants now in Michigan. And that $25 that every hunter was going to pay went towards the purchase of all of these birds that were gonna be stocked out on public lands for people to go hunt. But the thing that gets a little dicey is if you wanted to go say to a place that wasn't a release site and you wanted to go to an area that was truly just holding wild birds and hunt wild birds, it didn't matter. You still had to pay your $25 to fund the, um, fund the other people that wanted to go to the release sites to shoot those released birds. Oh, I actually think that paying $25 across the board is, is a good thing, mm -hmm. but it has to be to maintain the population. We ain't going to fucking release these pen raised birds every year. Right. So it has to be, I think it has to be a common good. Hey, we're going to use this as a, as a pheasant stamp. Right now, this is going to go to releasing maybe these wild bird or these pen raised birds into the wildlife. But this is upon these wild birds breeding, building habitat, 
um, keeping these birds around. So maybe they can't hunt these spots for a few years because we're trying to build habitat. Um, I don't know. I would, the, the whole game here is to try to try to make more birds. So I, I, I don't know what the thing is, but in Iowa, we do not have a, a pheasant stamp or a pheasant or whatever you want to call it, which I think Iowa needs to one preserve birds and two know how many people are hunting birds. Like, I think that's a good thing to know. Yeah. And you, so you do know. have to purchase you. Okay. So before you didn't have to purchase a stamp, but when you bought your licenses for the year, whether you're, you know, you go and you buy, you pay your 40 bucks for your combo deer license, you buy your small game tag. And if you're going to have pheasants, you also had to get a pheasant stamp. Um, it was free of charge, but now they've changed it where it's 25 bucks and that money goes directly in towards the state purchasing the birds to release. And something happened along the lines where it was always promised that 25% of that $25 purchase from every license was going to go back directly to habitat supports and causes. And then COVID happened. They shut the program last year down um, because of budget budget operations let's so the first year the state spent like 250 grand um there was a lot of people that were bought heard about the you know the state spending 250 grand on pen raised birds and you know why can't you just put that money back into habitat but that didn't really bother me because you know 250 grand is like a drop in the bucket for the state's overall budget for wildlife yes. things yes. Like so that that part to me was irrelevant then covid struck um, they canceled the, the, the program to, to save the, the money in their budget for the COVID year. Now this year it, it's coming back. The program's already been set back into place. The legislative has already passed for this year. Um, and the, the $25 stamp passed as well. So now if you want to hunt pheasants in Michigan, it's going to cost you $25, which again, I'm not bitching about the $25. I don't have a problem paying $25 to go hunt anything in our state or anywhere. I mean, that's, dirt shit cheap for any type of entertainment to go pay 25 bucks to do something for three months can't, see it. can't even go to the movie theater for that these yeah days. It, yeah exactly so 25 bucks it's not a big deal for me but they they changed it where they kind of snuck it around the back door where they promoted it as 25 percent was going to go to habitat and then the bill passed and they pulled that from it so 100 percent of the 25 dollars is going towards purchasing the release the release birds and it doesn't matter if you're going to a release site to hunt release birds or if you're going to a place where uh, there isn't a release site and you're going to go hunt wild birds you still have to pay that 25 dollars to fund the the birds that are getting released for other people to go shoot at the release site which so that I got if, if it was going if, have, if it was going towards game habitat, farms that just have game farms where people have to pay an extra twenty five bucks that just directly goes to to the fucking DNR then don't charge yeah, everybody yeah. for a hundred percent like that's stupid if you're gonna charge that twenty five bucks it has to help the habitat and if you're bringing in these game birds. That has to build the habitat. You can't mm -hmm. and build the yeah. population. That's fucking. My, up. my, yeah. My personal opinion is, personally, one. I wish Iowa would have a twenty-five dollar stamp. 
we do have a dove where it's it's zero dollars but you have to have a dove stamp right you have to have a duck stamp whatnot i think it's i think it's great that they're doing the 25 dollars stamp but if they really want to build a bird population releasing birds just releasing birds isn't gonna that's not an answer you got yeah, it in this habitat right so like, i guess let me let me give a little bit more backstory on this this isn't a program that's being advertised as trying to build a wild population sustainable wild population back in michigan that's not what the program's for i mean the it's call it what you want but it is a snake that's a snake it is for people to go out and shoot birds and that's the end goal of it it's not to it's not a long-term plan and the second thing of it is this isn't even a plan of the states it's um a guy named ken dalton who came up with the program um, How much kickback is he getting? I thought you were gonna one. say. I thought you were gonna say Biden. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So this was this was strictly one man's idea to do this. That they should bring a put and take program back to Michigan. He completely bypassed the the states NRC and DNR, um, Natural Resource Committee and Department of uh, Wildlife in our state, it completely bypassed all those biologists, everything, and it went straight to legislative and legislative passed the law without consulting with anybody. And that's where I think you get into a little bit of a hairy, a hairy gray area when you start doing things like that, you know, it's, and it, it also works against us in a way, because, you know, then you're talking about just going straight into bypassing, you know, biologists, the states, um, people that are you know, putting roles and positions. And if you can just go around and start, you know, taking away from hunters as well, you know, yeah, you already start to see things like that happening. So it's, just I would think something like that would have to, would have to go through like the DNR, or the state to like, I mean, they're the ones that are literally responsible for making sure people have their licenses. I'm guessing they are responsible to make sure that if they, show up to these release sites that these people have that $25 stamp or, you know. Nope. Because it was, it was proposed. The program was proposed as a bill. So it became a law. And now that it's a law, the state wildlife agency has to enforce that law. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. And they're responsible for enforcing it, but yet they weren't the ones that do. So does the state, that or so like does the dnr or anybody um do they receive any thing from those funds to like put towards either you know equipment to help you know with the releasing of these birds or to build habitat or to uh, i think it's dumb that they they don't want to build the habitat yeah i don't i don't get that like why it makes it easier for you one is better for the birds it's better for hunters mm-hmm. it's better for the state because now you're going to draw in if you get a good population of birds you're going to draw people in from out of the state to come hunt because they're like oh like south yeah. dakota south dakota people fucking go to south dakota south dakota honestly hasn't been that great tyler and i go there every yeah. year it's okay I mean, you gotta <laughs> pay a, you gotta pay a pheasant stamp thing when you go mm-hmm. out there you pay your out-of-state license and then you pay your 
whatever for your pheasant, I think, or something. I mean, there is, there is grants, there's different funds. Um, there's different programs that work within the state that work with the DNR to create habitat. Um, there's, you know, there's several programs like that, but this is something that's a totally different entity from, from that. And it's just focused strictly on releasing birds for people to go shoot. I, I'm just not a fan. Like I'm personally, I'm not a fan. Like if, if I would did something like that, I, one, we know some people that do pheasant farms. That's what pheasant, personally, that's what pheasant farms are for, mm-hmm. right? To release cage birds. Yeah. Like, yeah. and if you want to go there's kill a bird, like that's- go pay for it, right? But as a hunter that wants to see it's sustained for, if I have kids, for if they have kids, that $25 program per person to release birds is not going to sustain hunting generations to come. Yeah. Right. It's literally all it is, is basically, and sorry if, if you go to these, but it's basically a lazy, lazy person just wanting to pay 25 bucks to go to these raised spot or these release spots to go kill a pen raised bird right and they don't want to maybe fork out a little more to go to a pheasant farm i don't know if you have pheasant farms in michigan oh yeah yep you know but but like if i was a pheasant farm person i would definitely be against it because it's like i'm here trying to you know build i mean you're basically doing the same thing as what this person is doing by charging the 25 bucks you know to do that release sites Mm -hmm. but you're trying to build you know like you're it's a good way like i said pheasant farm is a good way to introduce hunters to the sport they're a good way to work your dogs i just i personally would not be a fan if i would did something now if you said that they were going to take that 25 bucks and they're gonna use it for maybe like a a salary of another person to upkeep these public areas something like that or they're going to take um 60 of it or something like that to plant uh food plots and maybe obtain new public land areas like i would be like i would i think iowa should do something like that personally yeah i mean i do i two fucking stamps that was ghost yeah you know like (laughs) we're never the thing is you're never we're never going to gain more land it's always there's more land that's easily going to be taken away than there's not enough i mean there's not enough people unless you combine funds to obtain more land for us public land hunters to hunt right It, it you're never going to gain more. There's, there's no more land being made. Yeah. And I think you, if Minnesota is like the apex, what the model that everybody in the Midwest, all these surrounding States should be trying to adopt their system with, you know, the grants and the money they've been able to set aside to be able to purchase new grounds and strictly main, you know, put the right people in, in, in place to be able to manage the habitat. That is and they've done a great job at it and bringing, you know, new parcels to the market for the public to be able to hunt and managing those properties for people to hunt pheasants and birds and stuff and wildlife in general. And that is what everybody, the model, everybody should be trying to adopt. But for some reason, I, 
I know it's not as easy to do as it is on paper, just looking at it, but I just wish there was more conversation towards doing that model. Yeah, I mean, shit, the rooster road trip went to Minnesota this year and Nick and I are like, well, fuck, they had, you know, they had really good outcomes. So we're planning on going up there because it opens up like three weeks before Iowa does. Yeah. Good way yeah, to go up there and gonna plan know, a weekend and just go up for yeah. two, three days and hit it up, see what happens. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think if, if you can have, if your state is doing, like you said, Minnesota is doing great. We didn't know about Minnesota till basically last year or the year before, whatever rooster road trip went up there. But man, if you can bring out of state hunters to your state, that you're going to, you're bringing more revenue to your state than just hunting. You know, you got, they're staying somewhere, they're eating somewhere, they're filling up gas. You know, it's like, I mean, there's so much more revenue you could create by doing that. And, but you know that's obviously a conversation that would have to be had with those levels you know but yeah it's that's crazy that they 25 bucks for a stamp to pay for pen raised birds i can't say can't say i would be game if i would did that yeah no. I yeah like i mean i don't like i'd probably pay the 25 bucks i'd still want to hunt any public ground that i want to go to right yeah, and I don't have a. It's it's not the money. It's not the the fact of whether somebody wants to go out and do this type of hunt. Like I don't give a shit. If that's what you want to do and yep. spend Saturday, go do it, dude. Have have the best fucking time of your life. Enjoy yep. yourself. But it's just it gets slippery when you start, you know, demanding other people to to pay for those types of birds, and they're not oh, yeah. back for for it. Yep. No, I I hundred percent agree. Yeah, I mean, I, if I was in your shoes, I'd be kind of a little pissed off about it. it. You know, like yeah. it's—I don't feel like it's a good a uh, good use of funds. But I don't know what—I don't know how many birds they release either. You know, and like you said, mm -hmm. the the survival rate. Like, let's say you release birds, and they're only releasing roosters. You know, it sounds like—I mean—the survival rate, even if those roosters don't get shot, is probably super minimal to make oh, it yeah, through a winter. You know, so. They're not going to make it through. So it's and the, the, the program from what I heard from people who did it the first year, it was really, you know, this is another disappointing thing about it. It was poorly run um, from the aspect of, you know, a lot of people like these clubs would come out and dump the birds and they wouldn't even try and like, you know, dump a batch here in this corner of the field, dump a batch out here and kind of spread them out. They literally just walked out of the parking lot, opened up the trunk and, dump the birds right there and everybody you know walked out the next day and they ran into 50 birds right there and they got shot up right there so that was your hunt right there oh jesus christ that's stupid that's that's frustrating like i said i i would look i would like you know for i would do it to help sustain it uh to make more land available for hunters i think that's a, a good way to do it but it's like you said, it's hard when basically a third party comes in and pushes the bill past without even having any conversation with, you know, DNR and all that, yep. you know, it's, that makes it, it tough. Honestly, honestly, Cliff, it doesn't matter what Tyler hunts. Ben raised birds, birds tied yeah. up. We can't. <laughs> Have you seen our Flushman dust on Fridays? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Smoking birds. Shit. <laughs> Same bird over and over. 
Yeah, just a diff <laughs> different camera angle. <laughs> Don't be fooled by all the different reels that come out. Yeah. Tyler's actually, uh, uh, just like you, Cliff, super talented on uh, social media, things like that. Uh, me, not so much. I'm just uh, I'm a good voice. Well, at least I think I'm a good voice. Might not be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. When we can hear you. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, well, Cliff, we appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, we usually try to keep them right around an hour. So For sure. uh, we definitely keep appreciate you coming on. Um, and anybody go check out Uplander Lifestyle, get some of their apparel. Um, it's pretty cool shit. Uh, we like it. So Thanks, go man. check them out again. We appreciate cool you coming on and we look forward to seeing some of your hunting coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, if, you ever, of, uh, if you ever make it to Iowa, let us know. Yep, us it's on the list. Yeah, we will, sure. we will guide you on um, real birds. Yeah, and if you ever want to get out of those open areas and come hunt in the woods in northern Michigan in the thickest shit ever, come on up. <laughs> we'll see. That would actually be fun. <laughs> It'd be interesting. It'd definitely be interesting. So, awesome, man. Well, you have a good night. Appreciate it. Yep, absolutely, guys. You take care. All right.